Welcome to this episode of the SSEU podcast. You guys have no idea how nice it is to do this intro without having to listen to Chris or Ryan. This episode contains the second part of our conversation with Jonathan V. Last. If you haven't listened to the first part, I highly recommend that you do so after or before you listen to this episode. JVL is currently with The Bulwark, having previously been the online digital editor of The Weekly Standard before it was murdered by Anschutz and his lackeys. Most importantly, however, JVL is one of the co-hosts of The Sub Beacon, the internet's premier pop culture podcast. I have to go feed the reindeer, but I hope you enjoy today's episode, covering a range of topics from campaign logos to youth basketball. Enjoy the show. Now the story of an eclectic fan base who lost touch with reality and the one podcast that somehow holds them all together. It's the Substandard Expanded Universe. JVL, do, do you mind talking a little politics? Sure. I mainly want to talk about the bulwark. So the best pieces so far have been the, the power rankings for the primary and the, <laughs> the analysis of campaign logos. And Those are the best pieces. I love, so I love the campaign logo can, can you talk a little bit about how you got into the campaign logo stuff? By accident. So, uh, so Graf, I, I don't know if you guys have picked up on this, but uh, I am the type of person, you know, Al- Alistair McIntyre has the thing about like the hedgehog and the fox. Uh, I am, I am definitely a fox and not a hedgehog. I, I have a lot of superficial thoughts about a great many things, and I don't have any one big thing that I know. And one of the one of the things I superficially follow and am very interested in is graphic design. I, I have been for many, many years. And it was just the Kamala Harris logo so offended me. <laughs> and I and and I was so I really mystified by how something like that happens because you have all the money in the world at your disposal. You have a very carefully managed campaign and rollout. Uh, you don't. I just don't understand exactly how something that much of a disaster happens at that scale. Let's just and so print. I wrote that piece, and every oh, that piece got all the clicks. Like people yeah. crazy for it. And so I was like, hey, there's an audience in which I can indulge my little fetish. <laughs> I'm going to do it and call it work. And so that, that's why I've kept doing them. But So do you think they matter? Like to what extent do you think having a beautiful, efficient campaign logo matters for a campaign? Uh, I think that they they do matter, uh, but I, I think they are a lagging indicator, not a leading indicator. You know, I, I had a line in one of the early pieces where I said every candidate gets the graphic design that they deserve, and I think that is basically <laughs> right uh, because it is part of the candidacy. I mean, the, the, now I I may go too far in believing that the horse flesh part of politics matters quite a lot. There, there, if you talk to a lot of the pointy headed poli sci people, they'll tell you, no, everything's about larger forces. Everything is basically predetermined. And, you know, this model can predict the outcome of elections, irrespective of who the candidates are and blah, blah, blah. And there's, there's surely something to that, but I think that those views essentially overstate things. The candidate skills, the idea of understanding who you are and what you are offering and understanding the moment in which you are entering into 
uh, understanding how to pick an opponent, understanding how to sort of maximize your momentum and what a campaign looks like. I think all of that is is partly wrapped up in the candidate and no campaign can do that for a candidate. Like the, 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 the polls themselves matter. And if you don't have the magic and you don't have the Kavorka, then no amount of campaign can pull you over the line. So my view. So all of this suggests to me that the Blasio has it in the bag. Yeah, I no, I don't. I, that's another one. It just it made me so angry when I looked at it. I was like, you literally, Hannah and I. You put Hannah and I together for fifteen minutes, and we could have come up with something better. Uh, you know, and and you know, Hannah's really smart about this stuff, but I'm not. Yeah, I. But again, so De Blasio, I think it's actually perfect for him though, because this is a guy who is only running for president because he's bored by being mayor of New York City and he hates his job, which is something, frankly, that I find almost unfathomable. Now, I hate New York, but in general, the people who have been mayor of New York, Bloomberg, Giuliani, Koch, Dinkins, uh, they have all loved it. Like for them, it is literally the single best time of their lives. You are the most famous person in the most famous city in the world, and you get to just like monkey with everything. You want to be on Saturday Night Live? You go on Saturday Night Live. You know, like every you know, the world is your oyster. And De Blasio clearly hates it, which is why he's decided on this cockamamie run for president. Uh, and so I think that that is the logo he deserves. Frankly, would you disagree? No, it's it's terrible. No. I was I was listening to two maybe two episodes ago on the commentary podcast and jpod of course has followed new york politics for a very very long time and he made the same point about how de blasio appears to hate his job and you have staffers who say that he's only running to get out of new york city and go do something else campaign in (laughs) iowa or new hampshire yeah and and i think the chances are very very large he's not going to run for re-election no matter what uh i i think his hope his real hope, I, I suspect, is to create a national profile so that he can get a job in the next Democratic administration. So his real hope is that like Joe Biden will hire him for something. I, I think Joe Biden would be insane to hire Bill de Blasio for anything. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, he would be bad to be White House steward. He should not be allowed to carry Joe's bags. But, uh, but you know, hope springs eternal. J- JVL, question for you. Yes. Could you have imagined, I don't know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, uh, yesterday, uh, could you have imagined that uh, an unknown mayor of, I don't know, like the 176th biggest city in the United States would be doing better in a presidential elect uh, or a primary than the mayor of New York? Well, or yes. Is that, or is that perfectly sensible to you? No, it's perfectly sensible because what we had long believed was that New York was atypical. And we always believe that nobody who is the mayor of New York or the governor of New York could be president because to be popular in New York, you are so far out of step with the mainstream of American culture. And so it makes perfect sense, actually, that a Midwestern mayor would be doing better than a New York City mayor. Now, it's surprising because of how small the town is. I mean, that's one of the reasons Trump broke all the assumptions was that, you know, Ted Cruz launched in the primaries, the, you know, the New York values attack. But that was always the knock against like Giuliani because he's from New York and like he, like every, people are weirded out by New York. He went on Dre. He was on Saturday Night Live in drag once. Iowa voters <laughs> won't go for that, you know, and well, well. So it's wide presumption, but it's not something you can say. 
What what is a white like person? a rejection of New York values? Yeah, no, but I think people have said it all the time, though. Uh, I mean, this was you know when the Mario Cuomo shop, when Mario Cuomo was thought of as a serious Democratic contender. Part of it was, well, you know, is he too New York for for America? So this is a a thing which has been thought and asked before. Uh, I mean, Hillary Clinton was not a New Yorker, which was one of the reasons that it was thought that she could be a viable political candidate. Uh, it, it is weird that the first New York personality to become president since like the Roosevelt's is is Trump, you know, and not the mayor of New York City or the governor of New York or a senator from New York. Have you uh, have you cooled on Beto yet? Uh, I have not cooled. I've cooled on him somewhat because I find that his uh, his decision to run away from doing a public campaign and pursue earned media is a little bit mystifying. I don't think anybody has ever been hurt by being overexposed. I think they panicked and thought that they were uh, Scott Walker, that they were peaking too soon. Uh, and that's a danger, but it's also equally dangerous to like not peak. Mm-hmm. peak. Peaking is a good thing. You know, you would rather you'd rather peak too soon than not peak at all. But I, I essentially we had a piece by Stu Stevens, who's yeah, super duper smart yeah. uh, this week. And I I think that's probably right. If I I have long thought that that Biden was the most likely nominee. If I had $100 to spread among, you know, if we're to roulette table and you have 100 bucks to plunk down a bunch of different numbers, I would probably put 75 of it on Biden. Uh, I'd probably put 10 on Beto, 10 on Bernie, and put the other five on uh, either Liz Warren or Mayor Pete. One thing I can help with is the uh, Beto pronunciation. Oh, is that how it is? Yeah. Rose explained it to me because... She's Hispanic, and it's a Hispanic nickname, which I don't know how <laughs> he he got it. But yeah, there's almost like a th sound. It's like it's Beto. Be- so. Be- Beto. Be- yeah, that is that is what? how it's supposed to sound, which is weird for you know an Irish guy. Buddy, Jeej, buddy, how do you say? Boot edge edge. Boot edge edge. Boot edge edge. All right, uh, Chris. Yeah, hang on one second. I was chewing. <laughs> So, so there's just a, a cheese stain on your deck from powdered cheese that's just not coming off. Uh-huh. No, it, it, it looks like a blood stain on a, the pavement by a drive-by or something. It is like, I'm like, out, out, damn spot. And it won't, it won't go away. And I'm perfectly, I'm sure that's perfectly normal. The same thing would have happened if I had dropped a hunk of cheddar cheese on the deck, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Real question: do, do, do you resent the fact that that your house has three welcome mats? Uh huh. <laughs> Literally every single morning when I go outside, I get like angry about two of them. Like I'm fine with with the baseball one, but the other two, I'm why are these still here? Why are these still here? I, I'm saying like, why would you welcome people into your home? Like that's you know. Yeah, I uh, talk to I, them. And, I know. don't do that. Um, I, I, some, one of the other adults in the house is into that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, so I hear like people from the internet. I tried asking her like how many people from the internet are coming over to our house next month. And she's like, Oh, don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Got to make sure my Xanax. Yeah. Yeah. I got to make sure I fill that script. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I, I I have a question for you, JVL. Yesterday as I was leaving the gym, I was grabbing my stuff out of my locker and I kind of fumbled my keys and they fell on the locker room floor. And I picked them up as quickly as I could, but then I'm sitting there staring at them, thinking, what do I do? <laughs> and so I went, and, you know, gyms have the, those, those 
wipes, right? Those wipes that are supposed to kill the germs. So I took two wipes and I very, very consciously like double wiped every, I wiped it and then I wiped it again, every nook and cranny, the keys. But I'm wondering like, is this, is there anything you can do about that? Or do I just kill it with fire? Just uh, the keys. This is a very complicated question. Uh, it really depends. <laughs> Which part of the locker room did you drop it in? So How close to the showers slash toilets? It's, it's like halfway between the showers and the toilets. What is the floor material? Tile. Are they large tiles with relatively small, small bits tiles, of grout or tiny tiles with lots of grout? Tiny so that's a problem. Lots of grout. Yeah, That's okay. a problem right there. Uh, what do you have on your key ring? Is it just keys or do you have some sort of leather fob or fabric type thing or rope? What, what is the composition of the things dangling from your key ring? No, no fabric, no rope, just, just, uh, just keys. I've got, I've got one piece of plastic. That's my gym membership. I, I scan that. But okay, that's so, it. So, so get a new one of those. Okay. Obviously, <laughs> you got to take that off and throw that the fuck away because plastic <laughs> is filled with all sorts of like little tiny indentations. You can't actually ever clean them all the way out. Uh, the surfaces aren't hard enough. With keys, you know, they're metal. Metal's pretty hardy. I I could talk myself into believing that it's okay to just like you know really hose it down and wipe it all off and and be all right and move on with it. So long as you weren't too close to the the area where aerosolized bodily fluids could uh, potentially coat the floor, then then you're probably okay. Car keys are expensive nowadays. I mean, to replace that, I mean, we're talking a hundred, couple hundred bucks, right? I don't know. I don't, I don't lose my keys. <laughs> <laughs> but have you ever burned them with fire because you dropped them on, in the... Uh... I don't drop my keys. <laughs> I'm actually... Okay, um, I was wondering if you would rank for us like the worst surfaces... To possibly drop your keys in on well, like bathroom floor, obviously. So I bet it. See here again, it really depends. Like, okay, so let's size go of tile and yeah, yeah. Let's go bathroom floor at a New Jersey Turnpike rest stop. Good God, <laughs> that is not good. So no. New Jersey. Uh, okay, there's there's more. Yeah, okay, yeah, right. I mean, would you, would you? The grout is where all the, the micro pockets are. And so the more grout there is, the less sanitary it is. JBL, <laughs> is there anything coming out in the theater that you are genuinely looking forward to seeing? Yeah, there's tons. Of, it's summer. I'm, I'm excited about all the things. I'm, I'm woman, too. Uh, well, before, I'm excited about Godzilla. Are you not excited about Godzilla? Hey, King, Ka- Kyle King Smith of the Monsters. Fat? I think. Godzilla. <laughs> I've never thought of him that way, but I can see it, I suppose. Naming Godzilla? It's like the Kevin James of monsters. I can see that. <laughs> he Big should bomb. have been Aladdin. They should have just remade... What was that movie that uh, him and Will Smith were in? With, uh, Sonny mentioned it. Uh, uh, Hitch. Hitch. Hitch, yeah. They yeah. should have just thrown Kevin James in. In a lot well, here, let me hold on. Yeah, Hitch is let me, demanding, let me effort the release schedule demanding a reboot. Let me effort the release schedule here for a moment, boys, and I will tell you what I am looking forward to. Release schedule. Are you are you bringing uh, it? No. So Godzilla looks pretty fantastic. Dark Phoenix looks like a train wreck that I'm excited to see. <laughs> uh, it's a train wreck. You can't take your eyes off of it. Kind of. Kind of. Uh, the Annabelles do not really do much for me. 
so Midsomar, I assume this, I actually had wanted to ask you about this, Thomas. What are your thoughts on Midsomar? I'm not a horror movie fan. I don't really do them. But you're a Sweden fan. Right, exactly. So I have It's a to, movie where Sweden... What are you going to do? I have to go see it. Oh my gosh, I'm not seeing it. Is this. it set from where you are? Is, is that where you came from? No, it's farther south. Nothing comes from where I'm from. Yeah, to uh, Thomas is in the world. He's north of the Arctic. Yeah, except except oh. for wood and iron. Those are the two things. And All right, so, so Thomas likes the wood. <laughs> so uh, Good Boys, which is the, the tween Superbad, Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw, uh, <laughs> Spider-Man Far From Home. Like all are you just listing movies or listing so movies? So is good, no, these, is these good, the movies is, I would like to see. These is Good Boys the one that you were talking about? That yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I remember seeing the trailer for that too. Yeah, that that I I, I want to see that. That movie what? is made for us, is it not? Yeah. Life? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. What movie? Good Boys. I thought you were talking about Hobbs and Shaw, which looks ridiculous. Oh, I, I don't even know what that is. That's no, the, uh, the, the Good the Boys is the is the super bad for like middle schoolers, basically. Yeah. What are you guys looking forward to seeing? I, I've seen John Wick. I'm good. Christopher <laughs> Nolan's coming out with a movie next summer. Yes. I'm excited about that. That's it? That you're you're excited for a movie next summer? <laughs> I cannot wait to see The Lion King because I, I just want to see which parts they'll change. I hate <laughs> the movie so much. God, I hate The Lion King. You know, you described your experience taking your daughters to see Aladdin as, you know, something that was, like, great and you'll never forget it. And it was better because you took them. But I, I don't. So neither of them said to you at any point during the movie, the popcorn is gone and I'm starving to death loud enough <laughs> for the rest of the theater to hear them. No. Is that a thing that happened to anybody else here? <laughs> oh, yeah. That happened to me because we, we've spoiled our boys by because they're right near us is a movie theater uh, called Movie House, Movie House and Eatery. It's Alamo, but it's it's nicer. And that's like what we've always taken our boys to. And they know we go in there, they order a pizza, they get their drinks. Everything is brought to them. When we went to see Endgame, we would have had to I didn't purchase the tickets uh, to go to movie house, you know, eight weeks in advance. So we had to go to a regular theater where you have to stand in line to get like a farmer. Your... Yeah. And, uh, I should not have brought Rhett, but he, uh, he told me that, you know, he's ready to go to the movies. He, he really wants to see it. And at first, when we get there, I told them they don't with, this is not like the other place. They don't bring you the food. We're not getting anything. We're just going to see the movie. 15 minutes into the movie, he's like, when are they bringing the pizza? (laughs) They're not bringing the pizza. Meatloaf, ma! He's like, I'm starving. So finally, I leave in the middle of the movie, go get him popcorn and some drinks. With 30 minutes left in the movie, he looks at me as serious as he can be and tells me, the popcorn is gone and I am starving to death. Well, in fairness, he thought the movie could go on for another four hours. So. <laughs> he realized it was almost at the end. Yeah, it might have. JVL, and, and not only this, but these kids are so spoiled, they always go to the movie house and eatery, so that when they walked in to see Avengers at a non-Alamo style, they're like, why is everyone li- lined yeah. up, like, waiting for <laughs> They didn't know what the concession stand line was. <laughs> was this a doing? Soviet red line? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't they know that you just push the button on the seat and they'll bring it to you? <laughs> That's awesome. Can you tell us about Shannon's video game superpower? 
No. I'm not going <laughs> to brag about her because she wants me to brag. The morning of your wedding day, uh, Shannon had an idea for you and your groomsmen. And um, tell us how sore you were before you even got to the wedding night. This is a listener question. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we uh, – we do, did you guys ever have the ESPN zone where you were? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, right. that was, yeah. the ESPN version of Dave and Buster's, but all the right. sports stuff. Yeah. So we had one in DC, and it was great. God, that was like the best thing ESPN ever did. And so my my groomsmen, which were really just my uh, three best friends, plus my little brother. So not a it was not one of these giant parties with you know eighteen guys and stuff. Uh, we went to the ESPN zone, and I just went crazy. I put like two hundred dollars on. <laughs> card you know that you swipe yeah. all the games right. and i was like we're gonna just play all of the games as much as we want we're not even gonna like look and see what the balance is and uh and so we just went nuts and we were playing the you know the super shot basketball game and then there's the awesome like the you know life-size football game where you're throwing as the the receivers are moving back and forth and so we, we went crazy there for like four hours and then we're walking back to the hotel uh, and all of us realized that we were sore from playing <laughs> like too much super shot. Very sad when the ESPN zone closed and finally went out of business. That was one of my one of the happiest places in Washington. Yeah, uh, JVL, have you heard that that Ryan is a uh, youth basketball coach? Uh, I did know that, but you coach girls yeah. basketball, or, or do you coach or boys basketball for your, the sons? Which, for some reason, I thought it was one of your daughters. No, uh, no, I no. Uh, she, I only have the Piper, and she's you know. Oh, the little racist. Her, she she tries a little yes, racist. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She she loves. She'd rather be a skier. She wants to be a uh, skier. <laughs> <laughs> no, she. But she. I spend most of the time just trying to keep her from running on the court, but. I don't know why Chris brought this up what, because it's it's, it's a complete it's a complete nightmare. I don't know if you've ever seen eight year olds and seven year olds play basketball, but it is it, like they have they have a thirty minute practice session before the game starts, in which the, and I got roped into assistant coaching because apparently I marked on the phone that or on the form that I'd be willing to help if needed. Practice session is fine, and they go through fundamentals and everything. But then the games are just, uh, you know, ten kids screaming, running in a herd from one end of the court at the other, <laughs> and just launching the ball at the rim as hard as they can. No matter you, there's not a single pass to be had the only passes are when you know a kid gets blocked and it goes to another kid on his team and other than that it's just fire the ball at the rim run to the other end you know scream at each other it's the worst thing i cannot right. believe do, I do you know how i picture the letting them play right do you know what i picture like visually is i picture you know how on tecmo bowl the defense yeah. kind of swarm. <laughs> that is exactly. That's exactly that's how it is. So, so Ryan, I have a question for you. I I assume you being a pretty athletic guy, you coming from a pretty athletic family, that your kids are likely to be pretty high level athletes. So, are you in favor of you organized youth basketball? Because my my theory is that there are some sports which really benefit the kids from playing at an organized level from an early age because there are specific types of skills you need to learn. But there are other sports, especially basketball and soccer. All of the crucial development comes from just Individual being in the driveway, 
farting around with the ball and learning how to dribble and learning reps. Yeah. That's the thing. Like I didn't play basketball when I was a kid until I was in fifth grade. Yeah. I was in and, seventh. First time I played right. when I was in seventh grade. That's, yeah. and that's honestly what I wanted to ask you about. I wanted to ask you about, cause you have like hinted before about how you went on some, like you played on some team where you traveled around, uh, you and, know, eating and, pizza. And, yeah. and, and <laughs> eating pizza. Pizza. <laughs> it wasn't a team, baby. I mean, do you want to like talk about like my my basketball journey? Yes, I've been I've dying wanted to, hear to know. About I've wanted to know about this since I first heard you talk about it. Okay, so I was a uh, a, a totally serviceable high school level player. Uh, you know, I would say I was the type of player who could have walked on at a low division three school. What I did, sure. No, I'm sure you're better than that. Yeah. Um, no. Like I was really, I was not not a a very good player, but but perfectly serviceable, you know, good enough uh, and good enough to play varsity in high school and just you know not, no real uh, upside to the to the next level. So I go to I go to college, which as it turns out is a Division three team with a not very good basketball program, and I could have walked <laughs> on. And instead of doing that, I decided to uh, row crew because I had this ludicrous uh, vision that like. The way one goes to university is to join the crew team. <laughs> I, I have heard that one of the one of the greatest, and this is often talked about, one of the greatest recruiting snafus in NCAA history was uh, Georgetown not giving you a scholarship to row crew. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. I was actually, I was actually pretty, I was pretty fast. Um, but anyway, this is all of which say. Uh, so I was a serviceable player who should have who should have actually gone and gotten on the team and rode the bench for a couple of years and enjoyed myself playing basketball. My life would have been different and better. Uh, but anyway, so my senior years, I'm getting rejected from all 23 medical schools that I applied to. Uh, I I was having these, you know, as one might panic attacks about what I was going to do with my life. And so I rushed out and I took the LSAT and I applied to a couple law schools and I got into to two of them. And I, I, I almost went to law school. I had the, like my uh, acceptance letter to Columbia, you know, and I was all ready to fill out like, Hey, I'm going to go to Columbia. And then I, this is like the most JVL thing ever. I was like, wait a minute. So I can't even get into the three worst medical schools in America, but I work at it for three weeks and I get into an Ivy League law school. This can't be any good. I don't want to do that. And so I decided not to go basically because uh, I just imagined that it meant that it couldn't possibly be any good. It, oh my God. It had to be lame. And so I, I wouldn't do it. Uh, and so I decided that I would drive across the country playing pickup basketball and I decided that it would be easy to do. And I would just get a couple corporate sponsors to pay for everything because corporate America has more money than it knows what to do with. And so I put together a project proposal and sent out a bunch of letters and started hitting up like literally just like every even marginally connected uh, company I could think of from Nike to Adidas to McDonald's and PepsiCo. And, uh, why I thought that anybody would give me money to do this beyond me. Uh, but, but two of them wound up doing it. So Fila <laughs> company, 
uh, whose U.S. headquarters was in Baltimore, and Pizza Hut, which was at that point a division of the Pepsi company, who <laughs> had a guy in there who was an alum who had played basketball at Hopkins, who was a senior VP somewhere. Uh, and it was so little money that they basically threw it out of, like, you know, like their petty cash fund. And they're like, here, go, go play basketball. Have fun. So, <laughs> so That is amazing. Sophia gave me, I, like, I don't know, like a dozen pairs of sneakers and T-shirts and shorts and all this stuff. And they slapped uh, logos on my car. And then Pizza Hut gave me these cards, which were basically, they're like, you go to any Pizza Hut anywhere in America and <laughs> just eat whatever you want and then just shove them this card and there's this card and there's a bill. I was like, that's a real thing. They're like, yeah. Yeah, it is. And it was. It was like a superhero card. So like you, you've been a brand ambassador then. Yeah. <laughs> I, I literally signed a contract with with both companies, which which stated that, uh, you know, in any ensuing media appearances for the, you know, for one year to the close of the project, I would be wearing only Fila apparel. And uh, <laughs> so it was it was tremendously fun. And I drove. Yeah. To- 48 and I played pickup basketball every day and I wore Fila and I ate a pizza hut every single night. And, uh, it was, it was, it was great. I, I feel like I saw it was in a weird way. It was an American version of going to backpack, excuse me, going to backpack through Europe. Oh uh, yeah. Which I, I never did. And I feel like I, I've always felt since then that I understood America a little bit better because whenever I meet somebody like I've been to basically where they're from. But right. and so at the end of it, you you wondered, what am I supposed to do now? I could have been in law school. Uh, no, at the end of it, I was like, I was like, uh, I the plan was I was going to write a book about all of this, and so I that was part of the project proposal. At the end of the thing, I would write a book about basketball in America and a coming of age oh, story. I would have read the hell out of that book. And uh, and so I moved to D.C. so that I could work at Starbucks and write the book at night and the I wound up getting hired by the standard like nine days after moving to DC. And so I never wrote the book because I was able to start writing uh through the magazine. So did you still have like notes and stuff? Uh I'm sure I do somewhere. Uh it was it was pretty great. I took like voluminous notes. I mean I would, you know, every night I would spend a couple hours writing up the the day i have a ton of great stories it was really yeah really awesome i played it uh you know like i played everywhere from like courts in south central la to i played on larry bird's childhood court in french lick indiana (laughs) Uh, i i watched a 16 year old uh lamar odom playing in a pickup game what in means yeah no it was nuts so lamar was (laughs) years old and he was playing against a bunch of guys who are division one college players at like you know from like providence and st john's and stuff and he he made them look like middle schoolers yeah (laughs) (laughs) it was i I mean it was one of those things where you realize actually how early the talent manifests itself in basketball like you know it's Mm -hmm. it's very hard to look at a a baseball player or a football player at age 14 and figure out where they'll be at age 16, it was clear that he would eventually be a, an NBA All-Star level player. Yeah, I mean, he's I mean, a big man with, with ball skills, can shoot the three. Matt Roberts, and you, you know Matt Roberts is a huge NBA fan, right? Uh, I think I did know that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, 
he looks at Lamar Odom. We've talked about Lamar Odom as a guy who really stands out as 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 a guy who would really thrive in this era of the NBA. Like he came like almost too early for the for yes. the big athletic ball handling shooting big man. A hundred percent, he was too early for this. Yeah. Uh, Lamar Odom today would have been unbelievable. So it was great, and I you know I I would say I saw a lot of America, and uh, I only felt. I was only sort of, I only felt unsafe a couple times for the most part. I, I was welcomed everywhere I went and people were incredibly nice to me. Uh, like really like touchingly nice to me. I, I played uh, at the, these projects in Coney Island where Stefan Marbury came up and uh, it was like two o'clock in the morning and these guys who live in the housing projects were like, do you need a place to crash? You could come crash our house. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which was just like the kindest, nicest thing in the world for people who like, you know, are living in public housing. They don't have much. And they were like, you can come crash on our couch if you need a place. Uh, yeah. It was great. It was, it was great. It was really, really great. Yeah. And man, at the end of four months, I was as buff and ripped out as I have ever yes. been in my life. Uh, I was just, you know, I was never, I was always sort of a, a tall, lanky kid. And, yeah. you know, no matter how much I would hit the weight room, like I could just never put on muscle. My metabolism was too yeah, high. I was the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And when I came, when I came home from, from doing this, I think I was like 205 pounds and just a Mack truck. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Pretty uh, that is amazing. I, I would have, gosh, that, I can't believe you had that idea and then actually did it. The, the, well, you know, it's a crazy idea. If, if it is, but if yeah. Flash came to me and told me he was planning to do this, I would tell him, "Are you on crack? <laughs> you can't do that. Let's go nuts. to law school. Go to go to law school." Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was it was good. I, I you know I I we was at uh, I was in Peoria, Illinois. I'll never forget this. Uh, and there were a bunch of guys I was playing with who. Like, I couldn't quite, there were a lot of times when you'd be like, hey, it's a Wednesday and it's three o'clock in the afternoon and you guys are like 28 years old. Why aren't you at work? You know, but you didn't want to like ask too much. Uh, So I was playing with these guys. We've been playing for a couple hours and they were awesome. And they had rolled up in two like gigantic old Lincolns with like smoked windows and everything. And uh, it's a one that was like, Hey, I got uh, I got a bunch of Gatorades and a cooler in my car. Do you want some? And I was like, Yeah, that'd be great, man. Thanks. And walked over and they opened up the cars and they had like tech nines on the seats. And I was like, Oh, they're not working because they're drug dealers. I get it. And uh, they were like they were the nicest guys in the world. And they yeah. No, I I when where where I grew up in Indianapolis, like. Um, there was the closest court to me was at this park in like a really rough area. And in the summers from like seventh and eighth grade, I would just walk over there and I would play with like these grown men and it was like really rough, but that's where I became like really good. And so the first, the only time I've ever seen someone knifed was on a (laughs) basketball court and it was the first time. I meant first I said, how many? I said first, and then I meant then I said the only time <laughs> okay, okay. I've seen someone knife was, and it was two guys that I knew really well, and I thought they were both just really nice guys. But apparently, they the two of them didn't get along with each other uh, because they were both, I guess, kind of rival 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 well, games first. I have to say, my drug dealer is super nice, and most of them are <laughs> like the first. The first one is always free. Uh. <laughs> All right. You're the, the, 
funnily enough, the only the only two times I've ever nearly gotten into fights on basketball courts, and I, I played a lot of pickup basketball through the years, uh, are were playing with sort of upper class white guys. Oh yeah, and yeah, uh, it was one with a bunch of medical students in where was I? I guess it was Boston, uh, or outside of Boston, a bunch of medical students from Tufts who were just dicks. Uh, <laughs> And then another, when I was like in my home, my home court, the court I played at all the time and had a regular game at, and a bunch of like 35 year old white guys showed up one night and were like, Hey, we want to run with you. And we're like, yeah, sure. Come on out. We'll, you know, we'll shoot for teams. They're like, no, we want to run us against yours. And I was like, you know, that's not a good idea. Like, this is like, you should always mix up teams. It's yeah, yeah. friendly. And, uh, Anyway, I'll, n- I'll never f- forget this. So this, uh, you know, I-, I stole the ball at one point. We were playing full court, and I'm going down down court with it to to dunk it because I could dunk back then. And I go up in the air, and a guy comes in behind me, grabs me by the back end of the neck, and throws me head first into the pole. Holy shit! Wow. And I flipped the fuck out. Uh, it's the only time <laughs> I've ever really gone after somebody. And I was like. What the fuck are you doing? This is not game seven of the NBA finals. It's a Wednesday night pickup yeah. basketball game. You don't try to fucking cripple somebody. And it's like, what? You got to do a hard foul there. And I was like, oh what fucking planet are you from? Oh You're like God. a bank outdoors on concrete. Like, like, why do you care that much about what is happening in this pickup basketball game? That, by the way, you are losing. Like what, what, <laughs> oh. what is wrong with you? And this, this is one of the reasons I actually don't play anymore uh, is that I never want, I would notice that. So especially guys who used to be pretty decent ball players, as you get older, uh, basketball is so much about athleticism. You can only cheat with guile so much mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that. So the guys who used to be good start getting grabby and handsy and more yeah. physical as a way of, of compensating and cheating. Yeah on their athleticism and they don't even guys who like are totally well-meaning they don't understand that they're doing it or see that they're doing it even it's yeah. just sort of like the natural reality you're yeah. steps slow yeah. so you grab a shirt to try to yeah. pull. and i just never wanted to become that guy like i really really never wanted to become that guy and so i walked away from basketball oh uh, probably when i was about like 29 and just never never went back to it well, and it's hard, it, like, unless you have a good group of guys to play with who, who understand kind of the rules of the game. Like, we're, we're – every time we step on the court, it's a gift from God. Like, we could lose this at any moment. So we're going to not – we're going to not tackle each other. Like, there are not yeah. going to be hard fouls. And you have because... to, like, know each other and be friends. When I first yeah, came to yeah. see, we had a – there was a regular weekly standard game that I started up. And, uh, and so it was, like, me and David Brooks and Paul Gigo. And <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about David Brooks's game. You know what? David Brooks is short, but he is built like a gorilla. He's one of these guys whose wingspan is like way out of proportion for his height. Yeah. And he was a totally, totally good athlete, actually. Like, really? Totally good athlete. Uh, absolutely did he play new. With glasses or did he use rec specs? Or tell me he used rec specs. I uh, played with glasses. Class. We, we did not. I mean, General we were a bunch of guys who worked together. We, we yeah. did not. We were not bodying up with each other. People <laughs> calling their own calls. You know, he did not need Rex specs in our game, but he was a totally competent player, knew how to handle himself. Uh, we had a great, great time. Uh, I would say back in, and this is when I first came to the singers. I was like 22 or 23. I was still playing all the time. I was playing almost every night. And, uh, and so I'd said to the bunch of the guys in the office who were, I guess now about like the age I am now, but they, they were then the, how old I am now. They'd be like right, 40, yeah. 45. Yeah. 
into that. And I was like, oh, come on, like, let's go play basketball. And they had known that I had done the cross country thing. Yeah. And they were like, yeah. They, so they were at first a little nervous. And then they just hadn't done this in a while. Once we were out there, we had a really good time. They're like, hey, why don't we do this every week? And so it was a, that was a very, very cool, cool thing to that's be doing. Cool, cool, cool era for you. Yeah. yeah. Does, uh, does Fred Barnes have a game? You know, Fred never played with us. I don't know if Fred if Fred had games. Fred is Fred was always almost a full generation older than everybody else at the standard. <laughs> is the other thing. I mean, so I mean, Fred was so Bill was the elder statesman of the standard. Fred was still another fifteen years older than Bill, I think. So you know, yeah. So Fred Fred was already kind of like. I, I'm going to say kind of like an old man, but nothing like it. I mean, he wasn't actually an old man, but he already felt like grandpa as opposed to like your cool uncle. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Does that make sense? Is it, yeah. is it true that he had, he had seats for uh, football games in DC that he used to give away? He, he, Fred Barnes is such a great human being. So he had season tickets to all three of the sports teams. I believe he had them oh, for wow. the, the caps, the, the Wizards and the uh, Redskins, and that all of them were awesome. Like you know, his his Wizard seats were off the half court line, twelve twelve rows up, and it, I think he was like the fourth row in the end zone uh, on the corner uh, at the Redskins, and he would give these away to anybody and everybody in the office uh not only if he couldn't go but also if he knew that like a team that they were really devoted to was in town right he would be like uh hey the, the sixers this happened almost every time the sixers came to town he'd be like the sixers are in town can you go tonight do you want my tickets <laughs> can you even imagine that's, how awesome that's amazing that's yeah, and, yeah and it yeah. was not just and i was literally i was just i was just the idiot answering phones you know like it's <laughs> fred is such a good guy so I, I love that man. So you have been accused of being back on Twitter. Uh, by who? Uh, by people on Twitter. When... There was a watch post yesterday. Yeah. Not me. Oh. <laughs> There's like a whole bunch of people who have access to my Twitter feed. It is like literally. I think it even says in the profile like it's. So it's not Jim and it's not model. just Jim and Hannah. Yeah, it's not just Jim and Hannah. Like it's like I. Do you guys want access to it? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I'd be happy to have you guys contributing to the Twitter feed too. That's fine with me. But this was this I'll give you my seemed like it. Credentials once we're offline. Yeah. <laughs> this seemed like it could have been you. The, it was the very on was, brand. No, just no. And then it was a picture of um, DeLorean watches. Twenty percent off discount <laughs> for your first order. DMC watches. Does that sound like they think you will buy more than one DeLorean watch? <laughs> 20% discount on your first order? Are there people who would do that? I'm Ron Burgundy? You're buying them for the office, right? Uh, no. No, I am not. It's like, it's like Amazon is like, you, you would you like to buy more of this? And it's like a one-time item. Like, you're not going to buy more. Yeah. A mattress? Let me yeah. look up DeLorean watches, but I, I literally have no idea what you're talking about. So I'm, I'm gonna text I'm gonna text you the what was posted. I just have a comment on basketball. DMC watches. Okay, go ahead. The worst thing in pickup basketball is, and you guys may disagree. I but I'm ready to argue is when the offense calls fouls. The offense should never you self police when the defense calls fouls. Um, See, if the offense. I, calls gets out of hand you you mean like if you have the ball and you get fouled you call it you call it, yeah I, i've had people get come in call get, fouls on everything and you're like and that's when you get fighting 
But when, like, if if uh, you call your fouls so that people don't foul you hard. But this is a cultural thing. Like, okay. it really, there are, place, there are places where you play where that is essentially the unspoken culture. Right. That if you, the, defense yeah, calls, the, the defense calls their own fouls. They're like, hey, I got you, man. Take it up top. There are places, yeah. though, that where you're playing, if you are on defense and you call a foul on yourself, your teammates will scream at you for calling a foul on yourself. Yes. Yeah, and, and the, or, like, or the, you or the offense will not recognize it. The offense will just right. keep playing. Yeah. I've had right. I've been on courts where that's yeah, happened. like yeah. like if someone's going for a layup, I was like, hey, I got you, and yeah. he's like, and it, no, you don't. Like, no, no, you didn't. Yeah, I'm exactly. not calling that. See, and and I, I guess I'm saying that that is a corrupt culture. Like that is a culture that eats itself. Yeah, I would say it's less fun. I really enjoy the sort of, but that's because I don't place a whole lot of stock in it. And as I as I frequently tell Flash, there are only two reasons to play sports: to make money and have fun. And so if you're not making money, you ought to be having fun out there. And uh, and I, you know, I, I think it's more fun and more gentlemanly when everybody is just trying to keep themselves honest and keep right. themselves from fouling. Yeah, I'm looking at these watches. These are the most objectionable watches I've ever seen. <laughs> they, are, they are so horrible. I... 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 <laughs> Would anyone buy these? <laughs> Good God. These are so this is what I don't understand. If you are the type of person who who wants a watch, so you don't you don't you're not happy with the phone. You really want a tiny piece attached to your wrist. Yeah, why would you buy something? Why would you buy one of these? I yeah. don't understand. You don't have to spend four hundred dollars. Um, you know, you maybe you're a farmer. And and you don't want to spend that much money, uh, but you can spend like one hundred thirty dollars and get an actual watch that is is mechanically made with an in-house movement from a nice Japanese maker like Seiko or Citizen, and it will be a real, an actual real watch, and it will not be anything like these pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of those um, those those? Uh... I don't know, I guess they're disruptors like movement watches, the uh, MVMT watches that used to they used Are you to describing a mechanical on, watch? They used to they used to advertise on podcasts all the time. Yeah, so all of those things and they are essentially like the uh, Shinola. They are okay. what is basically looked down on as fashion watches, which is to say they are shoddily made pieces of junk cobbled together in China uh, out of Chinese parts. Uh, all of them are off the shelf. So, they're, so what they're doing is they're buying movements from companies that just make watch movements en masse and then slapping them all together. So when I say an in-house movement, that's a, a movement that is made by the company that is that is producing the actual watch itself. Uh, and so when you see like a Miyota movement, the Miyota is the in-house movement brand of Citizen. Seiko makes their own movements. Uh, the Swatch Group, I think, makes the ETA movements if you get a Swiss movement. But anyway, so all of this, there are tons and tons of essentially the craft brewery versions of real watches. So there are companies like Raven Watch uh, or... Uh, Deep Blue, which are making real watches uh, uh, that are not like, and they're as reasonably priced as the like the stupid fashion watches like Movement and like uh, Shinola, but they are actual real. This is why it gets like it makes me angry when I see people with like Shinola stuff because I'm like, <laughs> I could have spent half of the money and gotten you a real watch instead of that thing, which is a piece of shit that's going to stop working in 24 months. 
Sorry, is that too much? No, too no, much no that's what I was. That's exactly what I was asking because I figured you would know. Yeah. Uh, I, no, if any, if anybody listening to this needs help with a watch purchase, I hope you'll come to me. But would you expect them to tip? No, I would. Be, I would be offended if they tipped. Just the tip, maybe. Just the tip. <laughs> maybe just the tip. You know what? How about, how about just the tip, and then we'll see how it feels. <laughs> So out there, you so not here. Hey, you see, we so up there, and we so out there. Hey, I'm waking up in the morning, hustling to the stage and performing, bustling through the hate and busting the door. Lately, nothing misses, I must have been scarred. Speaking of the misses, I'm watching them pour. Just like a drink that I'm enjoying. And don't mean models, you're welcome to join. Just look at me, so feeling like joy. Can I tell you one exit outtake story? The yes. type of thing that I can't say on the uh, on the big show. I won't be out of time. We're actually out of time. No, 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 no. no, no, no. The episode. We would keep you another hour if we could. Yeah, the, the episodes are as long as we make. I make them anyway. Go on. I've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> so I think only Ryan is going to get this. Uh, Chris, you may. Thomas, you will not. So we're. Uh, we're at a game for Flash's Little League team a few weeks ago, and there is this play where Flash is at shortstop, there's a runner on first, and a ball is hit very weakly to the second baseman, who is standing right in the base paths. <laughs> he basically bends over and picks it up. Uh, this is a <laughs> sure double play, because all he has to do is tag the runner as he runs past him, and then toss the ball 15 feet over to the first baseman. Mm. Uh, instead, the second baseman stands there uh, like he has been hit by Mr. Freeze <laughs> while the runner runs past him. The, he waits for, the, uh, for the, the batter to run all the way through first base. And then after the batter is like 10 feet past first base, he throws the ball to the first baseman, but he throws the ball about 30 feet over his head and like <laughs> way off like you know, into the outfield, essentially. Uh, at which point, the runner on second goes home and the uh, batter goes all the way to third. So what should have been a double play turns into an RBI triple. triple. <laughs> an RBI triple. So we, uh, the inning finally ends mercifully, and uh, I'm in the dugout, and as Flash comes past me, he leans over and he whispers... These kids are fucking morons. <laughs> <laughs> then, but the, the good part of it is he then continues down the dugout to the kid who made this unbelievably bad play, sidles up next to him, slaps him on the ass and says, hey, man, don't worry about it. Forget about it. Turn the page. Not a big deal. Happen to anybody. And the kid is like, oh, thanks, man. 
And I was like, you know what? That is that is okay. This kid is learning to play. Yeah, play the game the right way. Oh, <laughs> okay. See what I did there? 